Well, we have the opportunity, as I already shared, just to just celebrate this, this great event, the greatest event of all of history where Jesus conquered the grave and rose from the dead. And often, this is kind of a nervous time for pastors, because we think, oh, what can I do on this greatest of all days, our day, our day of celebrating what Jesus did? Well, there isn't anything better than simply telling the story, and, and we're going to do that, and hopefully in a way that might be fresh and new to some of you. But as we think about these times, you know, these times are like no other times. And often we're asking ourselves, what really is happening? I was uh, reading something this this, this particular day. Uh, Dr. Anthony uh, Fauci, as as he is the director of the National uh, Director of Infectious Diseases. And he's been kind of leading the announcements uh, as we think about what we ought to be doing or not, not doing during this pandemic. And he was looking ahead to those times where we might have a little bit more freedom. And he said, what we all want to do is make sure we continue to wash our hands. But I was kind of shocked by the next thing he said. He says, we need to continue to wash our hands, but I'm hoping that people will decide that they're never going to shake hands again. Now, we have no idea what's going to be happening in terms of the new normal. But I pray that uh, we might have opportunity to still connect with people in real meaningful ways. And, and hopefully that becomes part of our culture, that we, we don't lose really physical touch with each other. But, you know, as you think about this day, I was, uh, there's a lot of times I get all kinds of things and, by way of email or text. And so if you like corny jokes, I just want to share with a few of them as we look at having some kind of relief during times like this. Uh, this is kind of an old one. I heard this early in the whole uh, scene that we're in right now, and, and, and this was a statement made. I don't think anyone expected that when we changed the clocks that we'd go from standard time to the twilight zone. And, and then when you think about the quarantine time, I, I read uh, what someone wrote about that, and it said, you know, quarantine life. Went to this restaurant called The Kitchen. I was wondering, have you been there? I know we do at our home. You, you have to gather all the ingredients and make your own meal. I have no clue why this place is still in business. Another quarantine life statement. I'm so excited. It's time to take out the garbage. What should I wear? And then a couple homeschooling announcements. One was this after a few days of doing that in the home. One of my children called in a bomb threat. And two of my children uh, got suspended because they were fighting with each other. And then I particularly like this one, another homeschooling quarantine experience. My child just said, I don't, hope I don't have the same teacher next year. I wonder if I ought to be offended by that. You know, there's all kinds of things going on and just a couple of church-type humors. I hear a couple of kids sending letters to the pastor Dear Pastor, is it true my father won't get into heaven if he uses his golfing words in the house? He can't go golfing outside, and maybe he's just frustrated by why he's inside. Dear Pastor, my mother is very religious. She goes to play bingo at the church every week, even if she has a cold. That had to be before the COVID-19 epidemic. And as you think about that, we don't even have bingo here. And then I I kind of... uh, was challenged by this one. Dear Pastor, I, I think you're, tr- you're, you're finally understanding what is happening to us when you preach those long sermons because you made this statement once in one of your messages. Uh, you referred to us as bored again Christians. 
Uh, hopefully you haven't been too bored at our services, and hopefully you've gotten something out of it. But as we gather together, we do have the opportunity today to look at something that, that is this life-changing because of what Jesus accomplished, not only on the cross, but then he rose from the dead. You know, what's happening? Everything is happening around us. Everything is changing. Uh, but as you think about it, that has always been the case. And, and, and when you think about Easter, Easter Easter's not going to be easy this year. I don't mean because we're taping a service and we've had to learn a lot of things here at Grace Hills trying to put this together. But it's not easy in terms of normal experiences where we we gather our family and friends and and maybe we just have a great time together in the afternoon and just, it's it's a special day with people and we can't do that anymore. And so Easter's not easy, but what I want you to understand that Easter was never easy. Even the very first Easter. And that's why I've entitled this message, and you have your outlines. You can look at it as we think about what God wants to say to us today. And I've entitled the message this morning is, or this afternoon or this evening, whenever, whenever you experience this, is that uh, Easter, panic, then peace. Uh, we don't think about that. We think it was all joyous that first Easter. But if you really read the text carefully, you realize they had the range of emotions. Just like we're going through a range of emotions as we face the challenges with our work life, our home life, or our school life, or our financial life, our relationships with other people have all changed. And, and that was, that's what happened that first Easter. And in many ways, you could say that our, our life is more like panic than peace. And, and so we're going to see that. But, you know, as I was thinking about that, I, I did some reading about panic, and I, I did some research on Mayo Clinic, and they, they, wrote, they wrote some things about what panic attacks are all about. And, and this is what they wrote. A panic attack is a sudden episode of intense fear that triggers severe physical reactions. When panic attacks occur, you might think you're losing control, maybe even having a heart attack or, or even dying. They made this observation. Most people, if you define panic attack in its strongest terms, they only have one or two panic attacks in their lifetimes. And if the problem goes away, it's just an incident in their life. But if it happens regularly, they don't call it a panic attack. They call it a panic disorder. And maybe some of you have experienced that. You've had some fears that you're struggling with, but it seems to be ongoing. They say about panic attacks, Mayo Clinic, that there are a variety of experiences that you will have when that happens to you. Number one, it it usually happens suddenly without warning. They can strike at any time when you're driving a car at the mall, sound asleep, or in the middle of a business meeting, or maybe even a church service. You may have occasional panic attacks, or they may occur frequently. And when they, they come, panic attacks typically include some of these signs or symptoms. Sense of impending doom or danger. Fear of loss of control. Rapid pounding heart rate, sweating, trembling, or shaking, shortness of breath. And then they made this comment. One of the worst things about panic attacks is the intense fear that you'll have another one. And maybe some of you, that's what you're struggling with, is you're thinking about this experience of life where the COVID-19 is spread everywhere, and we don't even now know when it's going to end. And these fears just well up in your heart and your soul. Uh, one other comment that I read about panic disorders or panic attacks. Sometimes when panic is extremely severe, a person might develop ag- agoraphobia, 
which is a fear of going outside the home due to the possibility of something bad happening to them. And some of you, you don't have agoraphobia because all you want to do is get outside of your home. But for some now, they, they've been restricted to such a degree that they're, they're, afri- they're afraid to take that next step. And the passage we're going to look at this morning, really, we're going to look at something that was a fear to the people in that first Easter. And they were experiencing some panic attacks. And sometimes we'll even use that in everyday language when someone, somebody jumps out and scares us or says something to us, maybe in a joking way or a real way. And it just, it just startles us. And we'll say, you, you, you almost gave me a panic attack. Well, that was happening then as well. And the same word that's used in agoraphobia, that phobia, that word of fear, that's found in the original language of the text we're going to look at this morning. As we look at from the English text, but the Greek text talks about fears or panics with the, with the, word, with the word phobia. And so maybe you didn't ever notice this, but in, in the account in Matthew chapter 28, the word fear arises four times with various people describe what they were experiencing do, during that first Easter. And, and so this is why we're... we're looking at panic then peace and and really what I want to go through this this morning is on resurrection sunday some people were panicking and on resurrection sunday some people were about to experience peace and and our really heart's desire for you is that you would experience peace in the midst of the panic that's all around us and, and that's what they experienced there that very first easter that very first resurrection sunday that in the midst of their fears they were about, at least some of them, were about to experience peace. Well, let's, uh, let's look at the account as we pick it up in Matthew chapter 28. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And, and these were two women that had experienced a, a, a transformation in their lives when, when they had met Jesus. One was healed in a dramatic way, and the other... Her family had connected with Jesus. But essentially, they, they came on the Sabbath. And some people, as they look at the whole story of, of Easter, and as they look at the account in the Gospels, they, they wonder, well, how, how can this be true? Because there, there seems to be a disparity between the details and the accounts, or, or they don't just seem to add up. Uh, they've read about the, the, the statement in Scripture where it says that Jesus was in the grave three days and three nights. And, and then they look at this, and they begin to count the days and the nights, and he said, well, that couldn't have happened because he, he was crucified on a Friday and, and Saturday, and, and Sunday he rose, and Sunday night didn't occur. But you need to understand that there are always good responses to, to people who really struggle with what they think there might be some contradictions in the Bible because in the Jewish culture, if any part of any day was one you were experiencing, then you got credit for the whole day. It's kind of like what happens in our IRS-dependent type law perspective is that if you have a child on December 31st, you get credit as for that child to be a dependent of yours for an entire year. So if you're ever praying about when you want to have your children born, you can pray for December 31st and not January 1st. But you get the credit for the entire year by just having them born, maybe even for minutes before the next year, calendar year happens. But anyway, Jesus had been in the tomb, really, from a Jewish perspective, uh, three days and three nights. And now it was that third day, and, and they were arriving on the scene. And in verse 2, it, it goes on with the story. It says, And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. 
For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And so God was shaking up everybody and probably was a local earthquake and the, the stone was rolled away and the angel appeared. Now an angel is just a heavenly being that's a messenger of God and, and he came on the scene and he rolled the stone away. But I just want to make very clear here, he, he didn't roll the stone away for Jesus to get out. He rolled the stone away so people could look in to see that he was not there. And and the story continues on in Matthew's account, and and he goes on, he says, And his, this is the angel's appearance, was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. So there was no mistake, this was not just some uh, person with very well laundered clothing uh, showing up. this This was someone from above, and and they knew that. In fact, we get that reaction in in verse 4. It says, The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. They were paralyzed. That word for shook is the same word you actually use for earthquake. Their whole lives lives were rattled. They were now experiencing a panic attack. And and they were just, that point, they were were acting like dead men because they could not move because something had happened and they they were totally surprised by it. And as we look at that, what causes panic? What causes fears? Well, one way to look at it, and, and I put it this way in your, in your notes, uh, they experienced panic on that first Easter because some were experiencing what they believe could not happen. For you see, these are, these are well-trained soldiers from the Roman Empire, and they had this covered. They weren't fearful of the disciples coming to steal the body. They, didn't, they weren't concerned about anyone somehow taking him away and making up this great hoax about Jesus being in a tomb and the next day he was gone uh, because they, they had it well guarded. But something supernatural had happened and they could not expect this. And, and because of that, they were gripped with fear. And the word for fear here is the word phobos or phobia. And, and they were overwhelmed by it. And, and you know, when you think about it, that, that's, that's how it works in our life as well. When something happens that we, we do not believe could happen, it, it, just, it just shakes our world. I was uh, reading an article just recently, and it was written by a, by a man, uh, Dr. Clay Jones, and, and he, his, his new book coming out is this, Eating Healthy Will Not Save You. And he's a doctor, and he, he really has a, a great respect for people who exercise and eat healthily, but he's saying if you do the research, if you do everything right in life, it doesn't mean everything's going to go right. And that's where many of us are struggling with right now. We thought we had everything going right for us because we were living right. But no matter what you do, you can't ensure or save yourself from what might come next. He gave some illustrations in his book, and he said this, Lucille Roberts opened the first all-female gym in New York and turned it into a health club empire. She ate healthy and didn't smoke, yet she died at 59 of lung cancer. She she didn't think that could happen to her because she was doing everything right. She was eating right, she was exercising, and then at 59, she died of cancer. Grape Nuts spokesman, Yule Gibbons, remember him? A health food advocate, died of an aneurysm at age 64. Robert Kowalski wrote a number of books on nutrition, including the best-selling Younger Next Year, Live Strong, Fit and Sexy Until You're 80, and Beyond, 
died of pancreatic cancer at age 58. As the founder of Prevention Magazine, Jerome Rodale, discovered that he would live to 100 unless he was killed as an, in an accident. He was convinced he'd reached that century mark. Yet during the interview on the health benefits of organic foods, the 72-year-old died of a heart attack right in the middle of an interview. Uh, they chose not to show that interview live or on TV later. And then one I remember particularly, Jim Fix, a long-distance runner who advanced the health benefits of running, died of a heart attack on a run at age 52. See, when you think about that, it really kind of sobers you that you're not in as much of control of your life as you think you are. And when you really think about that deeply, it causes somewhat of a panic attack. At least it brings a little concern, or maybe you could say a fear about what might happen next. And how does that happen? Just like the guards at the tomb of Jesus, they were shaken to the degree that they were filled with fear. It's because they were now experiencing something they thought could not happen. Just like all those health enthusiasts who, who tried to prevent all their diseases and, and, and keep themselves in a, in a condition in which they would live long, but they could not control the disease that, or the heart problems that they had genetically that they were unaware of. You know, but the story goes on, and we're only looking at 10 verses of the Easter story. And, and what else happened in relationship to people and their fears? Well, well let's look at it as we continue on. In Exodus, in, in, Exodus, in Matthew chapter 28, we're in a series in Exodus, and we'll be getting to that after Easter. But in Matthew chapter 28, uh, verse 5, it goes on and says, The angel, the heavenly messenger from God, said to the women, Do not be afraid. For now I know that you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Just as he said, come see the place where he was lying. Some people, when they look at the story and record for us in the four Gospels in the New Testament, they're thinking the reason that people believe that Jesus rose from the dead because they were presupposed to think that he was going to raise from the dead. But that's not what happened. They, they were filled with fear before Easter happened, and, and then when it did happen, they were fearful. It's interesting, as you think of the disciples, we'll talk about the men for a moment, and in Matthew chapter 26, right after Jesus does the Last Supper with them and, and tells them about what is going to happen, he, he then turns to them and said, you know, you know what's going to happen, men? All of you are going to flee. You're all going to run away. You're all going to desert me. And this desertion was actually something that was predicted because he said, it is written that when you kill the shepherd, all the sheep of the flock will flee. And so the men were fearful. In fact, uh, as you think about the 12, only one of them showed up at the crucifixion of Jesus. The other 10 were hiding, uh, forgetting Judas for a moment. And so out of the 11, one showed up, 10 uh, were hiding and now these women show up, and, and really, they, they came to anoint the body of Jesus, and they were shocked when Jesus was not there. And so as we think about fear, fear will happen when, when something happens to us that we think could not happen. It will also happen to us when we think something would not happen. They didn't think that Jesus would be risen from the dead. They didn't think that the tomb would be empty. And you know, when you think about that, it's something to, to really reflect on that as we think about 
things that will not happen that will cause us to, to be filled with fear. Uh, that happens to us all the time, and it's happening to us almost every day as we experience uh, the season that we're in with the epidemic, the pandemic. And, and as you think about that, I was, I was struck this past week. I got, a, I got an email, and in this email, sometimes we think of maybe, you know, churches will never have to struggle. They'll, they'll never have to, to go through what other people out there go through. But this is the letter I got this week. It's from a, from a church that I'm very familiar with, and, it's, and it was sharing what they, it just happened to them. And he wrote these words as pastor. We let three staff members go this week. We felt we had to reduce our expenses by 10%. That wasn't easy. One has been with me 10 years, one for 15 years, and one for 21 years. And see, when things happen that we don't think would happen, you've been at a job for a long period of time, and now, and now it's a new word. I, I, you're now on furlough, or you've been terminated. And, and when you hear those words, the only response you can think of is fear. And, and as these women saw the empty tomb, they were shocked, and they were filled with fear, and they had a panic attack, and And the most repeated commandment in Scripture is, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And you know why the Bible keeps repeating that? It's because we are afraid. We're afraid about things that happen we think that could not happen. And then we are even more afraid when we experience things that would happen that we didn't expect. And that's what happened to them. But the account of that first Easter goes on as we think about the fears of people that experienced life that first Easter. Verse 7, Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has been risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly. But then it describes how they left. They left with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And this kind of describes our experience of life, doesn't it? Because there are times where we're filled with fear and joy at the same time. And how could you put those two together? Because you can experience a panic attack because you're experiencing something that you thought could not happen or would not happen. But then you're thinking about, well, it's happened and now I have to do something with what I've experienced. And And I would put it this way. You can experience fear as they did because they're experiencing what others would believe did not happen. In case you don't quite get the the flow of thought here, is that they were given a commission to tell the disciples, the men, this is the women now, that Jesus had risen from the dead. And they knew immediately when they were were given that command to go out and tell the, the men, his closest companions, that Jesus had risen from the dead, they were not going to be believed. They would hear those news and think that these are just some women making up some stories. And so they were fearful about the response they would get when they got this news out. And maybe some of you, even on this Easter, you're really fearful about telling other people that you're thinking about putting your faith in Jesus or maybe telling some of your friends or family, you have put your faith in Jesus. And not only have you put your faith in Jesus, but, but you think that's the greatest choice, decision, commitment that anyone can make. And, and, and you want to tell people, but you're, you're filled with fear. 
because it, it just seems too good to be true. You know, I, I got something in the mail yesterday. And if someone were to tell me this was actually true, trust me, I would not believe them. But the one who wrote me this is, is trying to convince me it is true. It's written to me, Michael Johnson, Grace Hills Church. Dear Michael, I am Heo Shen, financial manager for HSBC Private Banking at Hong Kong, China. I am getting in touch with you regarding the estate of a deceased client with the same last name as yours and an investment that's been placed under our bank's management. In 2008, the subject matter, Mr. Harry, Mr. Harry Johnson, the deceased came to our bank to engage in business discussions with our private banking division. He informed us that he had a financial portfolio of portfolio of $22,350,000. And I'm just announcing to you that if you make a deal with me, you'll get a portion of that. In fact, you got to keep it uh, confidential, which I'm actually not doing. But he says, if you will entrust with me and come into a financial agreement with me, this, is, this, will, this will be your share. You'll get 30%. I will experience 60%, and there'll be 10% expenses. Now, <laughs> can you imagine you getting the letter for something that was reportedly for my benefit of a portion of $22,350,000 and thinking somehow you would convince me that is true? Well, that, that was the fear that they had, that, that first Easter. Now they'd experienced the resurrection of Jesus. Now they're supposed to tell people. And, and sometimes that's what we go through when we have responsibilities we're not sure we can carry out. And it, it provokes fear, kind of a panic. But, you know, that's not, that's not the final phobos or phobia that happened in that first Easter where that first Easter, that Resurrection Sunday, uh, there was panic or panicking. It, it goes on in the next few verses. So they take off, and in verse 8, it says, And they left the tomb quickly with the fear and great joy, which we just read, and ran to report it to the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. This is the first time they encountered him physically. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, one of the most repeated statements in all the Bible, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. You know, as we think about experiencing Easter, and sometimes we think that, that Easter or things in the Bible were, were so easy to believe or so easy to experience because it was all firsthand. Again, now Jesus has to tell them, don't be afraid. And I was trying to think, well, why would they be afraid? They had just met Jesus, whom they had just longed for and was, were 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 heartbroken because he had been put to a horrible death on the cross. And I guess I would put it this way, is that sometimes we experience fear or we panic, not only because something that we believe could not happen did happen, or something that we thought would not happen did happen, or we think we have to tell somebody who's not going to believe us that it did happen. I think the fear here was some were experiencing what was so amazing, and it really did happen. And that's that whole experience where we think that this is, this is so amazing. How, how can any of this really make sense? How, 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 did, this really, did I really meet Jesus? And, and you're overwhelmed by the experience. 
And as we think about that, I want you to understand that there's, there's so many things that happen in life where you just, it almost is beyond our ability to comprehend. In our church, one of the things we've been doing, we've been taping services and we've been having small groups meet together and, and WebEx meetings or Zoom meetings. And, and once this all happened, I was thinking about, you know, this is really happening. We're now going online with everything. And I was thinking later on in the event of this all coming to pass, I said, you know, I wonder if that would have been a good stock, Zoom, to invest in during, uh, during this year. And then the next day, I looked at an article in the Wall Street Journal, and you know what it said? Since January, during a time which the stock market has gone down 25% at least uh, during various times during the season, that the Zoom stock price has gone up 81%. And you're thinking, well, man, well, I wish I had invested in that. But, but you know, even when, when things go well, when it's just amazing what you're experiencing, it, it doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. And, and that brings a little bit of fear as well, because once you have something, you, what, you, you don't want to lose it. And if you read what's going on with Zoom right now, they've been in a lot of controversy because of Zoom bombing, where people are getting into other people's conference calls. And and you think about that happening now. Some of the people who have paid into Zoom are wondering why all these people are getting free service by just getting the free service of Zoom. And that's what happens in life, doesn't it? In the midst of the, the, the best things happening, it doesn't mean life's going to be easy. And so as, as we talk about Easter on this Resurrection Sunday, it, it, it doesn't get any better than this. It doesn't mean just because it's awesome, it's, it's going to be easy. Because uh, there are things that are going to bring fear into our life. There are things that, that we, we're, we have a tendency to, to almost panic because we don't understand it all. We didn't think it could happen. We didn't think it would happen. We don't think people are going to believe in us that it really did happen. And it's going to be so amazing that we, we don't know how to explain it to anybody. How, how, do you, how does a, go, a stock go 81% in just a few months? But what I want to announce to you that in the midst of... of the reality that they were filled with fear at that first Easter, at Resurrection Sunday. What they really got to experience is that on that Resurrection Sunday is some would experience peace. And this is what we want to conclude with today, is that we think about Easter. It's not about just knowing that this event happened, and it really did happen. In fact, what I want to challenge some of you is if in the midst of knowing or trying to figure out what you want to do. There, there's, a, there's a movie called The Case of Christ. If you have Netflix, you can, you can watch it for free. And it's a true, true story about a man named Lee Strobel, who was a Chicago Tribune uh, journalist, particularly in, in legal matters. He, his wife became a Christian, and it just frustrated himself because now his life was completely changed in his home life and all the things they used to do together. And so he went out for the whole purpose of, of, of proving that Christianity wasn't true. And in this year and a half, two-year journey, he, he tried to make a case against Christ. And he found out the evidence for Christ being truly who he claimed to be and, and really doing all that he said he did it was, was, was so convincing that he committed his life to Christ. So I just want to encourage you, The Case for Christ, Netflix, you can find other places as well. Just watch it and just see the evidence to believe this is actually true. Uh, real quickly, just a spoiler, some of the reasons that he believes that. Is number one, just the, just the reality of the, 
the evidence, that, the, the facts of what just are so de- de- demonstrative in the life of Jesus. Number one, his execution. You, you can't read the accounts about Jesus and think that somehow he didn't really die. And even the Journal of American Medical uh, Research has, has confirmed that Jesus died even before the, the spear was thrown into his side. And then as you think about the early reports about all the, the things that were written about Jesus, it wasn't centuries later. And some of the accounts of the creed about Jesus raising from the dead could be as close as months from the actual event. Then you think about the eyewitnesses and, and those who saw Jesus. Over 500 one time saw Jesus risen from the dead. And then when you look at the whole idea of the evidence of, of the apostles, the people closest to Jesus, they would have known it if it was a lie, and yet they were willing to, to die uh, for Jesus because they knew it was true. And as you think the evidence of changed lives down through the centuries because of one solitary life, Jesus, have changed people dramatically. And then what he refers to as much as anything else, this is the reality of the empty tomb. And, and throughout history, people have tried to somehow explain that. They, they, they can't argue that the tomb wasn't empty because it was empty. And they have to come up with all these other stories that are so harder to believe than the reality that Jesus did actually rose, rise from the dead. But as you think about it being true, well, so what? Well, what's the difference? Is that because um, Jesus rose from the dead, we can experience peace. And as you think about experiencing peace, this is an amazing thing that, that God is willing to allow us to experience in a deep way when we, when we put our, our, our trust in him. You know, peace is an interesting thing as you think about it. Peace is, is that which changes everything. You know, peace in the Hebrew is the word shalom. And if you go over to Israel, they'll, they'll use that term in a greeting in so many different ways. And in the Greek, it's a reine. And we just... We, we use peace in so many different ways, but I, I want you to understand that, that it has an expansive meaning. It means that when you experience peace in God's way, there's a totality of life that you experience. There is a completeness. There is not only the sense of the absence of conflict, because we still have conflict in this world, but he takes that which is broken and he makes it whole. He, he makes that which is filled with despair and he, and he brings purpose to it. And so that, that's what God wants us to experience, that in the midst of a, a world gone wrong, that we know that, that our life has, has substance, a foundation, has a wholeness, because God has taken the broken pieces in our life and put them together. And as you think about it, the Bible describes peace in a variety of different ways, that what he wants us to experience is not only a peace with God, but the peace of God. And I want to make some quick distinctions of what that really means. What does it mean to experience the peace of God? The Bible says, therefore, having been justified by faith, this is in Romans 5.1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the reality, the, 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 the truth of what the Bible has to say about our lives is that apart from coming to know Jesus, the one who rose from the dead, it, that we are, we, are, we are enemies with God. We are far from him. And, and, and there needs to be a, a peace treaty made between a holy God and sinful people. And that's why Jesus died. He died to take on the penalty for our sins, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He, he wants to take that which separates us from him, our sin, and be at peace with that because he paid the price. Jesus described peace this way in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. 
do I give to you? Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. When we're honest with each other and we think about the reality is that people live and, and then people die, is what's going to happen when we die? And if we were to stand before a holy God and somehow plead our case because we're good enough to get in, we would all fall short. And the reality of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and raising from the dead is that that what separates us from God, God says, I am at peace with you. I've signed that treaty in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm no longer holding your sin in account to keep you out of a relationship with me. But you've got to put your trust in me. That's the peace of God. But, but throughout the day, we, we not only need to know that God is no longer angry or wrathful toward us. He poured that wrath on Jesus. But we want the peace of God. In Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, it says, Be anxious for nothing. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be awesome if we could live that way? That no longer what happens in our life, we never get anxious again or filled with worry. Be anxious for nothing. Well, how can you do that? But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And if you want to know what to pray about, just take these, those things you're concerned about, those things you're fearful about, those things that are wrong in your life or, or are wrong in people's lives around you. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And really what he's saying there, look, in the midst of all you go through, that part of your brain which never turns off when you're filled with fear or worry or anxiety or just despair or questions about what's going to happen in the future. God says, look, when you bring that to me, you'll not only know that you're at peace with me, but you'll experience the peace from me. You'll experience the peace of God, and I'll settle your heart in the midst of all that's going around you. Jesus said this in John 13, uh, These things I have spoken to you that so that you may, in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. In the world you have the pandemic. In the world you have COVID-19. In the world you have not only the wars of the past, but probably the wars in the future. Not only do you have the, the financial reversals now, but you have the unknown that's going to happen in the, in the days to come. But even in the midst of that, take courage. I have overcome the world, and I give you my peace. This week, I, you know, I've gotten all kinds of <laughs> responses from people for what they're going through. And this is, this is what one of our people in our church was going through. And this is what, what she wrote. I want you to know I'm going through a real struggle. I'm having in this whole thing uh, a real sense of trauma because it's, it's all about God's silence. It would be a lot easier to handle the earthly issues if I felt his presence more. Often I feel like he's a proctor during an exam, and I feel like I'm a student taking a test and I'm not prepared. A test I didn't even know was coming. In the midst of her experience during these last number of weeks is that everything has changed. She wasn't expecting this to happen. She wasn't prepared for it to happen. And then seeking God's guidance and doing everything she thought was right to, to be prepared now, it, it's all turned the wrong way. And see, I want you to understand that about Easter, Easter is the hope for the entire world throughout all of history. 
And, and the resurrection of Jesus is awesome, but it doesn't mean that life's going to be easy even when you know him. It's interesting, later on in the week, I, I got another text uh, from her, and, and this, is, this is what she said. You know, thanks for pointing me to reading one of the Psalms, Psalm 27. It was very encouraging me not only to read it again, but even in the, in the setting it was to share it with others. And see, what really happened to her was not something mystical or something you could define as a, as a miraculous thing right at that moment, but what she did, she turned to the, the one who is resurrected from the grave, who brought her to that place in her life where she's now at peace with God. And now she had now experienced the peace of God because she was now turning to trust him, seeking his face and recognizing that if she has Jesus, then in the midst of all that goes on in her life or people she cares about in their life, that having Jesus is really enough. It's awesome. It's not easy. And there's no guarantee about what other challenges we're going to go through or how long these challenges are we're going through right now will happen. But we can know that God is with us wherever we go. And so on this Resurrection Sunday, on this Easter Sunday, where we've tried to look at the account of this first Easter by looking at there was panic, but then there was peace. That that is true for us as well. And I want to urge you, where we are in your spiritual life, that you have settled that with God. I want you to make sure that on this Easter, this Resurrection Sunday, that you have made peace with God. That you're not, you're not afraid of the future. You're not, you're not aware of what might happen and how soon it will happen, but you're not afraid of the future because you're at peace with God. And the only way for that to happen is when you surrender your life to him. You know, Jesus said, if anyone come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. Which really is a, is a word to say, you need to surrender your life to me when you trust me. And, and I want to pray a very simple prayer this, this morning or this afternoon or this evening, whenever you're listening to this. And I want to give you the opportunity to express your commitment, your trust in the living Christ. You, you could summarize the, the, the commitment is you've got A, first of all, admit your need and and then turn from that which is wrong in your life, your sin. you got to be, believe, trust that Jesus did die on the cross for your sins and rose again. And then you got to make a choice. you got to commit to follow and believe and put your trust in Jesus. And Jesus alone is the Lord or leader of your life and the forgiver of your sins. And when you'll come humbly before God and surrender your life to him, then he'll, he'll make you one of his children. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that right here on this Easter day. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for all of us right now that we would be honest with you, that we would not try to look one way on the outside, but really the reality is it's not true on the inside. And I would pray for people right now that, that, that don't really know where they stand with you, that they might, they might make peace with you. And how they would do that is simply surrender their lives to you. And they can express that in, in very simple ways. Dear Lord Jesus, I want to know you. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Change me from the inside. I'm tired of going my own way. I want to go your way. And no matter what I face in the future, I know I can trust you. I give you my life completely and fully today. 
I want to be at peace with you, and I want to experience your peace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.